0: Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity, with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and let's begin the day by calling in the spirit, so, I call out to the ancestors to join us here today to gather around, bringing all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us. I ask them to bring us the legacy that we might learn from those who have gone before us. It is on their shoulders that we stand, it is their dream of the future that we are living. And I ask them to help us to be wise and responsible dreamers, to understand our role in this great web of life, of dreaming the future. Help us to do what we need to do today to create the world for those who are coming. So I call out to those ancestors to gather around us, to encircle us and help us to remember that we are one family, one family of humans on a very small home that we all share. And I call out to the earth that home. I call out to the earth that great being, that wondrous energy on which we all so dearly and specifically depend. We call out to the earth and give thanks for the wonder of her dreaming and the blessing of this day. Give thanks to those of us that are alive. I give thanks to the earth for belonging, for grounding, for connection, and for this opportunity in the springtime to send down roots and to blossom. We call out to the earth to give thanks for connection, an interconnection, and the opportunity to exercise the wisdom and the passion and the courage in our hearts. We give thanks to the earth once again for life, and may we share that life wisely. And remember that we all have a piece of that miracle with us in each day. Let us live that each day with that wonderful awareness that we are part of a miracle and each day that miracle unfolds or is killed through our actions. So let us breathe life into that miracle. Be awake and be aware and call on the energy of the earth to give us the wisdom of manifestation that we might learn in each day how to be better at living here in form with all other living things. So let us plant our feet deeply into the earth, feel the ancestors gathered round us and reach up with wild hearts up into the sky through all the layers of the sky out through the atmosphere and into the cosmos past all of the heavenly bodies and reach all the way to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name you call that power let's call it down call it down into yourself call it down into our proceedings here today call it down into the very center of your life and bring into yourself blessing. Bring into yourself that you might offer it to others, blessing and protection. Bring into yourself that you might offer it to others, blessing, protection, generosity, and the benevolence of this universe. Let all the wisdom of the cosmos come down from above, infuse your body, remind yourselves of who they are, move down through you all the way into the earth just as the earth's energy rises through you all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And with your center channel open and alive and awakened by these great, great powers, the energy of above and the energy of below, may the heart in the center be awakened by these energies and your own attention and call in the power and the wisdom and the specific spirit of the heart, the heart that knows how to hold the fiery passions of the energies from our bellies, Our lower chakras, the energy that knows why we are here, knows what is right for us and what isn't the energy that we often so quickly deny. We ask the heart to draw that energy up to light that fire in the heart as we draw down the inspiration and illumination and guidance from our upper chakras, from above, from our head and let the wisdom of the belly and the mind merge in the heart that we might know why we are alive. Why are you breathing? why is your heart beating your blood pumping why are you here know the heart path let that memory emerge today as we call out passionately to the heart to join us and with the heart awakened by your own awareness the energy of above and below joining you and the ancestors circled round, let us begin May what needs to be heard be heard, and what needs to be said be said, and all things go forward in a way that are good for all living things. I want to give thanks to all of you who make the show possible. The show is exists on the donations of listeners, and we are not yet at 100% supported. And so I hope that those of you who are moved by the show allow your hearts to be moved into action and to help the show to grow in some way, large or small, to connect, share the show with someone else, find a way to... Um, Spread the word about the show, or to go to the show site, whyshamanismnow.com, and donate whatever amount of currency, large or small, you choose to offer. Every amount goes directly to keeping the show on the air, and it allows us all to do what is at the core of all shamanic teachings—to allow yourself to be moved in your heart, into, from your heart into action. So I give thanks to all of you, especially to Indrik, who are helping to keep the show on the air right now with their funds and their support and their questions. And I um, ask you all to consider what you could do today, this show moves you, to help the show to grow in some way. Even sharing it with a friend is deeply appreciated. So the topic of today is how do I become a shaman? And I... My intent today is to offer this show sincerely to those people that email in from all over the world actually asking, you know, how do I begin? What is the first step? And I, I, it is my intent, my sincere intent to honor you and to thank you for listening, for sending in your questions. And I don't want anyone per, who has personally emailed me to be offended by anything that I say in today's show. But it is my perspective that what used to happen to create shamans is still necessary. And I am not necessarily um, the most popular perspective because of that. Um, however, I'm not alone in this. And I, I want to begin the show today with a reading from the Toltec I Ching. So these are the words of um, a teacher and friend, William Horden. And in the very beginning of the Toltec I Ching, uh, he says about the eternal path, although the outer world has changed dramatically in the past several thousand years, the inner world of the soul remains unchanged since the time of the ancients. The inner life of our ancestors, particularly the soul questions and soul decisions they faced, this inner life of our ancestors was no different than our own. And this is actually my point. Yes, the world is different, but the souls are not so different. And the the making of a shaman is about the lighting, the illuminating, the the transformation of a soul. And not not I do believe that every person has a calling and has a soul's path, and that to, to find that path, to express that path, to live that soul's calling is the core of every individual's well-being. With that said, I also believe that some paths have a very subtle calling and a very gentle hand in the transformation of the soul, and that the issues of the call and initiation and training and all of these um, steps along the way are not necessarily as dramatic as they are for the shaman. And this doesn't make either path better or worse. And, and there are other paths that I think the, the call and the initiation and the training are perhaps parallel to the shaman. But I do believe that that all people do have a soul's purpose and do have a path to follow. And um, so I don't think what is true for shamans is necessarily different for other people, just perhaps in its degree. But the point that I'm making, and the point that William is making, is that the soul questions, the souls of people have not changed just because the outer world has changed. The soul questions remain the same. What is my purpose in life? Why must all that I know and love die? Is there a meaning to this universe I find myself in? In all the known world, why are human beings the only ones with doubt? How can I be sure of the right thing to do? How can I eradicate wrong without doing wrong? What is real success, real progress, or real power? Is my fate predetermined, or am I creating the person I choose to be? How can I face my own death with calm joy and an unshakable sense of victory? What is the best path of life, and how do I keep from stepping off it? This is a list of the old questions from William, and I believe these are the questions that we still ask today. And more importantly, these are the questions people bring to shamans and if a person who is in the role of the shaman has not already walked the path to answer those questions for his or herself they have nothing to offer those who come to them and so perhaps in this aspect of shamanism i'm a hard liner i think in other ways i'm more progressive and creative and um Crazy, perhaps, but in this regard, I am old school, and in that, I don't mean to insult anyone, but I want to honestly, from my own perspective, answer the question of what I believe it takes to become a shaman in the 21st century. What is the first step? What do you do if shamanic healing has been dead in your ancestry for thousands of years, yet you still feel the call? What do you do? so here's an example of the kinds of emails that I get I receive which I am honored to receive and again this, is, this show is not meant to address these people personally because I don't even know them yet personally this one woman says I am 21 years old but feel my soul is ancient I have been practicing Reiki for three years but shamanism keeps popping up in my life I have no experience with it but feel it is something I'm supposed to work with I feel I've always been connected with spirit and my spirit guide since I was a child. I have seen angels or spirit beings randomly, and I think I have healing ability. I've been asking my guides and God, what is my life's purpose? Um, And like I said, the word shaman or shamanism has come up on multiple occasions. What would the first step be? Another listener says, "I've been on a long path of healing. I was diagnosed at the age of 15 with fibromyalgia, and since then, I've been looking for answers to the questions of the cause of my disease. And during my knowledge-seeking journey, I have found out about the body, physical, emotional, the mind, the spirit, and how we are all one, and many th- other things about energy and human nature. I am now at the point where I'm ready to fully take my power as a healer. And shamanism speaks to me. I have overcome much fearfulness and insecurities, even though there still remains some things to be." healed, and released within myself, I'm willing to take that step closer to embodying my full potential as a healer. These are the kinds of emails that I receive asking, what's the next step? And in this case, a contemporary person who is searching, I believe if you truly feel called to shamanism, that the first step is to learn to journey, which these days is not a hard thing to learn to do. There are people everywhere who can teach you, even reasonable books some people can learn from. I personally prefer the oral tradition, as you all know. But anyway, the first step would be to learn to journey. Because the essence of the shaman is a person who has mastery over themselves in multiple altered states. That the journey discipline as a, as a crafted altered state is the easiest and safest to learn in initially and that the journey discipline will allow these this person in this stage, or a person in this stage, to not make it personal to these people that have written the in, but a person in this stage of seeking, if you learn to journey, you will be able to ask spirit the question, what is the next step? And that is the path of the shaman. It is not to ask people, but to ask spirit. And regardless of your ultimate path, I mean, the other reason that I suggest people learn to journey is because regardless of what you ultimately find your path to be, having a working relationship with spirit will help you. Everything is gained by learning to journey, and nothing is wasted. So why not begin there? Why not begin with one of the fundamental skills of shamanism and use that then to guide you along the path? So I think that we are confused here in America because in general in America, bless us all and from a heartfelt place, I say we are incredibly ignorant about energy and spirit, that we don't understand how to simply have healthy boundaries in a relationship, much less begin to enter into altered states and have healthy healthy boundaries and good relationships with energies that don't have form. And, and, and to be able to act with good boundaries when we're in an altered state. I mean, we are so immature and undeveloped in that arena. And, and again, I say that with, with love, but we are. So, so part of the challenge here is that for many people, simply waking up to recognize, oh my goodness, everything's connected. It's not really what they taught me in science class in high school. Actually, they might actually be teaching this in science class in high school these days. But my point is that simply waking up to what actually is going on energetically, to the interconnectedness of all things. I mean, most kids, by the time they're out of high school, have had four or five drug-related experiences that have exposed to them a certain other perspective on how... Energy is working in the world. People wake up and realize, wow, my family of origin system for functioning is not necessarily reality. And I can change that if I want to. Um, all of this waking up that we do to the true nature of reality is not a call to shamanism. It's not special. It's really just us catching up with what should have happened in our growing up time. It's, it's us as inspirited, intelligent, inspired people waking up to the reality around us. And that's really just waking up. It doesn't mean anything else other than the fact that you're finally gaining the capaci- capacity to be a real human. And even learning to journey does not make us a shaman. It makes us human. That we have the capacity to enter altered states of consciousness, to engage an ongoing working relationship with our spirit help and to use that relationship to guide us in our lives is what it means to be an adult it's what it means to be a grown-up human it's what it means to be a spiritual adult none of this makes us special and so we need to understand that there's this great confusion in America and we start to wake up to the reality of what is going on around us and think that that is somehow special. And we don't understand that it just means we're finally getting a grip on reality. And then the deeper thing to understand here in an archetypal realm and this, the spirit world had to beat this into my head. So, you know, don't take this personally. We all wake up in the realm of the healer. We all wake up from being asleep in the system because something needs to change. We are either faced with death, we're faced with some illness, we're faced with something that pushes us out of the system so that we realize, you know, like we're saved by cranial sacral therapy, for example. And so we think that means we're called now to be a cranial sacral therapist. We get saved by shamanism, for example, and we think that means now we've never felt more alive than doing this shamanic work, so this must mean I'm supposed to be a shaman. And we don't understand because we don't understand the archetypal journey of a soul through life. We don't understand that we all wake up in the realm of the healer. It is when we start feeling alive. It is because the cohort of the healer is death because we're faced with living a life that is killing our soul. So we wake up to save our soul in the realm of the healer. And so many people bail on their life at that point and go get training as some kind of alternative healing healer or shaman. And at that point, now you've eddied out of the system where you have resources to continue your journey. Because I'm here to tell you, it is not easy to make a good living as an alternative care practitioner in the United States. So the journey has just begun when we wake up in the realm of the healer. The healer hands us off to the warrior. If we learn to face our fears and to deal with our shadow, the warrior hands us off to the teacher. If we learn to cultivate some mastery and balance and trust in our life and are able to commit passionately to the process without attachment to the outcome. The teacher will hand us off to the visionary, and we begin to truly dream our life. And at that point, we're ready to ask, how do I begin to be a shaman? Or anything, clothing designer, you know, a mural painter, a great parent. I mean, there is a path ahead of us at this point, and we don't seem to understand in America or have the patience for the path. It takes years of time. So my perspective then is that the issue here is that someone is searching for how to become a shaman. And that that in and of itself could be the problem. It could be the reason that the path actually isn't clear. Because instead of asking what is my soul's purpose... There's now an attachment to an outcome. And that is always a problem when we are working with spirit through a divinatory process to to pre guess or assume the outcome. So, spirit calls us to the path of shamanism. If you are offering yourself up and you are not being called, then either it isn't your time, you aren't ready, or it isn't your path. So now what? So it is true that spirit calls us to the path in many ways. And herein lies some of the confusion and the contemporary problems and potentially the contemporary solutions around becoming a shaman. Is yes, spirit does call us to the path in many ways. For me, in a sense, in my own path, this whole thing was made easier by the simple fact that I did not want to be a healer. I did not feel called to be a shaman, and I did not know how to journey. I was simply asking, why am I here in my life? How can it possibly be true at 30 years old that my life has so little meaning and so little purpose, and I am so profoundly depressed? How can this be true? Why am I here? That's what I was asking. I'm not saying that's what everybody asks to become a shaman. Just trying to make the point here that I wasn't asking how to become a shaman. I was asking the universe, why am I here? And frankly, I didn't get an answer. No, I didn't get an answer. So I took the next step to the best of my ability to understand it. And then I took the next step. And I kept asking, why am I here? Utterly uncertain and confused. I took the next step, and most of the steps involved my own healing, either physically or psychologically, but it also involved me doing what I believed I was here to do. And that's the piece that always seems to get dropped out of my story when I hear people retell it to me. They miss the fact that I committed my whole life to my best guess, and that ultimately that guess was wrong. But I committed to it. I gave everything over to where I had passion and felt the most alive. And by doing that and earning a living and paying my bills and struggling with putting food on my table and all of the effort in this time I've chosen to live, I committed to what I had passion for, where I felt most alive, even though that didn't make any sense. And I took the steps of my own healing physically and psychologically that showed up as I did that, and I risked everything. That's the piece everyone leaves out. I didn't do anything to become a shaman. I simply chose to live like one without even knowing that that's what I had done. I chose to live my life wholeheartedly or die. That's what I was thinking at that time. I would say to myself when I was making choices, can I do this passionately? And if I couldn't, I didn't do it. That's how I was living at that time. Shamanism is really hard. It's the one thing, you know, I met this doctor once who said, you know, I thought shamanism was what people did if weren't smart enough to go to medical school shamanism is really hard you have to be very intelligent and understand deep deeply into the inner workings of energy and the universe and it's energetically challenging it's exhausting and you have to deal with people all the time i mean it is not a simple path so you have to prove to spirit that you have the heart for it You know, I said a little bit earlier in the show, if you're giving yourself over to the path and spirit's not calling you, then either it isn't time, you aren't ready, or it isn't your path, or you are not showing spirit that you have got the heart for the job. You cannot live life half-heartedly while you wait around for the path to emerge to your wholehearted life. If you wait around half-heartedly, the only path that will emerge is a half-hearted one. If you just live this half-hearted life waiting for the next step that's going to take you to be the shaman, it won't emerge. And I've seen people in that place, I've seen my own students in that place get frustrated and want it so bad, they step over this step and they just go learn the healing forms and hang up a shingle. I watch it time and time again, the unwillingness to show the heart to the spirit world and in almost dare the spirit world to come and get you. So you get chosen by spirit for shamanism because of your heart, not your gifts and not your skills. There are incredible intuitive gifts being used to run corporations all over America. They're incredible, intuitive, energetic, shamanic-type skills being used to raise children well, being used to make great art, to to dance beautifully. That skill set is inherent in humans. It isn't about your gifts or your skills or anything special about you. It's about your heart. The clarity of it, the courage of it, and the ability of it to guide you true in times you would step off that path. And you know what? My experience 20 years into it is that test doesn't stop. It just, the ante just keeps being raised by the spirit world and you keep getting tested. And so what spirit is looking for is your heart. So commit Give yourself over to your best guess, even if it's 100% wrong and isn't supposedly leading you in the direction of becoming a shaman at all. Because all spirit is waiting for is your heart, is to see it. All four chambers, out and mighty, fearless, risking everything. Then spirit will take you and will show you. And you don't need any human beings at that point. So spirit is basically waiting to see if you have the heart for shamanism. And I'm not saying any of these listeners that have emailed in are living half-heartedly at all. I don't actually know from their emails at all. All I'm saying is that often the message... Often, I don't. So basically, what I'm saying is take the first step, develop a working relationship with spirit, take your questions to spirit, live a wholehearted life, commit to whatever it takes to live a life responsibly, which means get a job and pay your bills. This is the other thing I just that amazes me as a contemporary practitioner and a teacher, and particularly now because I have these podcasts, which I think are pretty cool to have out there free for the world to connect with. But at the same time, it means I have people coming to me, basically sort of coming to my door. I'm the teacher here. I want to be a shaman and offering nothing. They arrive empty handed offering nothing. Now, if I had ever decided to pack up and go somewhere to a shaman to ask essentially to apprentice with that shaman, I would show up willing to scrub the toilet with a toothbrush. That traditionally, when you commit to an apprenticeship, that doesn't mean you just get to show up and help with the fancy rituals. It means you committed to doing all the crap of life so the shaman could be freed up to do the fancy rituals, that you committed to being present in that shaman's life 24-7 to support the fact that that shaman was committed to the community 24-7. I mean, I don't think anybody would show up at the doorstep of a shaman in another country and basically just say, I've got so many gifts, teach me. But they do that here in America all the time. It is astounding to me. So what I mean by living wholeheartedly is show the spirit world you are a spiritual adult. Develop a relationship with spirit. Get a job. Pay your bills. Contribute to your community. Stand up as an adult in your life. And in essence, dare the spirit world to come and get you. Don't try to do it right. We are so... So preconditioned by school in America to try to take the right classes and do all the right extracurricular things to get into the right college to get an A on our paper. And we are not trained to understand what the spirit world is looking for in a shaman. And so so that's what I encourage you to do is, I mean, I was a straight A student. I get it. I get wanting it to be like going to school. I get it totally, but it's just not how it works. And frankly, I kept trying to make it be that way and it always just made a big mess. So I'm just trying to offer what my experience was. I finally realized in reflection, looking back that the most important thing that I did to move my life into the path for me was to commit to my best guess, which was dancing, even though it was wrong. It wasn't the right answer. I mean, you, I mean, I go back and read what I wrote in my journals at the time. It's horribly embarrassing now. But the point is it was my best answer and I committed everything to it and risked everything and exposed my heart. And spirit came in and beat the crap out of me. But that's the point is that you, if that's what you really want, that's what you've got to do to have it happen. And we need to have this happen. It isn't enough to just go take a bunch of workshops and hold up a shingle. And I say this not because I am opinionated, which I am, and not because this was my experience, which it was. I say this because over the last 20 years, particularly in the last five, I have noticed a change in the response from people that come to me. So same groups of people coming to me, and this is purely anecdotal, but I have talked with colleagues of mine that have been practicing over the similar amount of time or longer, and they have seen the same thing. Now, granted, for all of us, it's anecdotal, but this is what we are seeing. In the last five years or so, five to seven years, it used to be in the old days, 10, 20 years ago, if you ask someone what their experience was in shamanism, they said they'd had a soul retrieval, and you said, great, so how did that go? They say, God, it changed my life. That was... 95% 95% of the time, that was the answer. Every once in a while, it didn't do anything. But you have to understand, in any modality, there's always going to be that percentage It doesn't work for, for that person. That's always going to be there. But most of the people said that soul retrieval they had changed their life. Now, more often than not, the person said, oh yeah, I've already had a soul retrieval. It didn't do anything. What that means is we have more practitioners offering soul retrievals that are ineffective. Now, there's always that percentage of people that don't respond, don't do their part in the shamanic healing because it is a two-way street. Now, granted, but that was always the case. So if you just sort of factor that constant out, in those people that would in the past have said, it changed my life, you've got people now going, ah, didn't do anything. And I always ask them, why are you back? You know, why are you coming back for soul retrieval from a different practitioner if it didn't do anything in the past? Which is an interesting question and different for everyone. But my point is, the field out there is changing. There are more and more practitioners offering quote-unquote shamanic healing work that isn't working. And my perspective about this is because people are not understanding that in spite of all of the changes today... What was important for the soul that crafted the soul of a shaman or crafted the soul of a human into a shaman, maybe that's a better way to say it, is still true and necessary to craft the soul of a contemporary person into a shaman. Now, the form of those events may change because life has different raw materials to work with. But the souls of the people remain the same and the transformations necessary to create a shaman remain the same. So let's look at what they were. And there were basically three things that happened differently in different cultures. But three things that happened, each in and of itself a transformation, a profound paradigm-changing transformation that, made, that, that, that cooked the soul of the human that was called to be a shaman. One was the call. Two is the training, and three is the initiation. And by numbering, I don't mean they always come in that exact precise order. But each of those three things needs to function in the person's life to truly create a shaman that can be effective as a shamanic healer. So the call is an experience that a shaman, the person, the human, the regular everyday garden variety human has. And the nature of this call can be dramatic. It, is, it comes from spirit. Not your ego, not your wishes, not your desires, not your own soul. It comes out of the spirit world, out of the invisible world, out of the great mystery, basically, and grabs you. And it can be as dramatic as a seven-year illness or as simple as a profound big dream. But either way there is an overwhelming feeling that the profession chooses the shaman and that the person is then compelled along the path by forces out of their control. The call takes many different forms, but traditionally and both traditionally and uniquely, because there are still, even within traditions, shamans that are called through a purely unique and spontaneous way. But the call touches the individual deeper than beliefs, Deeper than fantasy, deeper than desire, and deeper than the ego. And it remains in the person, echoing in the sphere of their being, until a choice is made on a soul level of how to respond to that call. The call is perceived to have come from spirit, not with the, the what is consistent about the call, is that the person knows that it came from the outside, and that's important to understand. It is not an internal something. It's external. And that it may be interpreted as an ancestor spirit, a nature spirit, an animal spirit, from great spirit, um, some universal, you know, great mystery kind of spirit. And there are three general forms of the call in traditional shamanic cultures. The most common, Um, Form is a personal experience of being called by spirit That is often begins with a sickness, physical or mental, that cannot be cured by customary treatment. Now, this does not mean that every illness is a shamanic illness. Not every illness is the call. Although it is a great metaphor when working with people who have an illness to help them find the gift for them in their illness. That's really powerful work to do with people. But that does not translate to the given then that the illness has made the person a shaman. And this contemporary sort of ham-handed version of psycho-spiritual healing drives me up the wall. This is, though, a classic way that people are called, is through an illness that does not respond to customary methods of treatment. A second kind of traditional form of a call comes through inheritance. And this is um, in families. In uh, families. Um, like a great grandfather was a great shaman and that spirit energy calls to someone usually skipping into the next, like the grandchild generation or something. But this is often true that the spirit of a dead ancestor comes. And, um, the other form of the call is an individual identifies a deep yearning that they must follow beyond all reason or logic. And that, um, to the extent that if a person were to choose not to follow it, they would grow ill and die. Now, I actually believe that when people do not express their soul's purpose through their work or through their life in some way, they grow sick and die too. But this is beyond all reason and logic. So this is in an extreme version of that. And this is common, for example, in um, southern Asia where the person who feels this yearning simply has to seek out a teacher who would train and then initiate them. Now, and this is what I was saying. That may be what contemporary people are feeling, especially since we're waking up in a culture that has no shamanism. This, this deep, unexplained yearning and they're looking for a teacher. But do not show up at that teacher's door empty-handed with no resources in your life and nothing to offer other than yourself as if your skill set is so special that this that the the degree of entitlement in contemporary Americans is beyond all explanation it 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 leaves me breathless Now, if you are in a place in your life where you have no resources and you do feel strongly called to shamanism and you want a path that will not involve the exchange of money, leave the U.S. Go to another country that has a traditional shamanic um, system and see if you can be um, accepted by those shamans in that culture. You might be. And accepted in to that culture, live as they live, contribute to that community, work hard, and be called into that practice. I mean, if you want a path to becoming a shaman that is not going to involve the exchange of money, go somewhere where people can actually live without the exchange of money and see if you meet whatever the criteria is in that culture for the call. And see if you can be accepted into the training. I strongly encourage that. Why not? But understand that in the U.S., it's excruciatingly hard to live without currency. And so to expect someone to engage in years of training you without any exchange is unrealistic. And if you truly believe that somehow the exchange of currency would taint your training to become a shaman, go somewhere where you can live without the exchange of currency. Go to the Amazon. Go to Siberia. Go somewhere where you can just learn to contribute to the culture. Work hard because it's not going to be easy because you haven't been trained since the time you were a child how to live in that culture. But try it. Learn the language. Do it that way. And then you can have this purified path for those who feel that somehow money is a problem. Personally, I think money is just energy. But that's another issue. But it has moved us along to the point where we've been called. So we move on to the place then of training because training is the second piece. There's training, the call, training, and initiation. And these three things have to happen. So... The function of training is to develop the skills and talents so that the shaman doesn't hurt themselves or hurt others. It's also so the shaman can be accurate. We all have intuition. That does not mean we all interpret it accurately. That most of us, if you have done nothing to wake up out of your family of origin belief system, you most likely are not interpreting your own intuition accurately, much less offering wisdom and teaching to other people. That is just the facts of life. And frankly, people, John Bradshaw started talking about family of origin issues free on PBS like a gajillion years ago. What was that, 30 years ago? Wake up. That information is out there. If you, you, there's no reason to even begin shamanic training if you have not already woken up out of your family of origin issues. But that's another show. We'll move on. Training. We were talking about training. Okay. So training, um, essential to training is for the person, the human who wants to be a shaman to learn to control themselves and to interpret accurately in several different altered states that the person must learn to accurately determine what trance state is used for what issue and what depth of trance state is needed and to be able to go there and return at will. The person must be able to enter and exit any of those different trance states at will. And so we need to understand that the essence of what was, so that we can understand the essence of what is needed today. And this, is, this training piece is very important. So when the shaman is working with the helping spirits in the spirit world, journeying, or embodying a helping spirit in the physical world, which is an embodiment trance state, the two primary kinds of shamanic trance states, that they experience themselves as limitless beings. Limitless power is a great responsibility that demands impeccability in thought, word, and deed. Traditional training enables the shaman to bear both the power and the responsibility with skill and humility so that others are not harmed the shaman's ignorance or hubris. So be very wary today as you choose training. Because if you choose a training that is purely skills and has nothing there to develop your responsibility with those powers, you will be in trouble. And I am not going to say, I would never actually say one training over another. Because you need to find the training that resonates with you and your helping spirits. But understand, if you're truly called to shamanism, your helping spirits can do all the training. You don't actually need a school. I personally found it very helpful that I could go somewhere. It happened to be the foundation of shamanic studies to learn the basic journeying technique and learn the basic healing forms. I found that helpful. I also already had experienced the call and the initiation. And so to connect with those techniques allowed me to more reliably access the spirit world and to learn what the spirit world was trying to get me to do, which is those healing forms. But it's also a whole four-year course of training that comes through those helping spirits for contemporary people to function in our chaotic, changing, hyper- Uh, distracting world. So the shamanism that I teach in my four-year training is for us today, based on ancient principles. That's what my helping spirits were trying to get through me and out into the world. And so that's not going to attract everybody. But the point is I got the basic skills and then allowed my helping spirits to use me to do what we helping spirits and I were here to do. And that's what it is to be a shaman. And so – Be very careful in your training that you find a training that resonates with you and your helping spirits, not one that's going to give you the quote unquote credentials because frankly, none of them do give you value because taking the training doesn't make you a shaman. The spirits do. doesn't matter what the training is and how many famous people have done it. That what makes you a shaman is your relationship with spirit and that you are called and that ultimately you are initiated and that you're trained somewhere in between. Okay, so the training of a shaman is unique culture to culture in the past and and today actually and it can be different for individuals within the same culture. Training may also vary depending on the helping spirits that the shaman is working with. So for example, when my mother was um, working with some Sangoma women in South Africa, they talked about how The first several steps were the same for all of them. And then they got to the place where they had to learn to divine reliably. And each one of them showed then how unique their divining techniques were because each one was working with a different helping spirit. One woman worked with stones. Another woman worked with animal helping spirits. Another woman worked with ancestors exclusively. Another worked with uh, plants, I think. And, And so for each of them, their divination techniques were different. Their whole system was different because their particular helping spirits were different, but they accomplished the function in their training, which was to develop their own unique um, divination piece at that sort of beginning stage of their training. So even within a training, there will be variation as people learn to work with their different helping spirits. Even with all of this, though, there are four basic principles found in shamanic training practices across all cultures. And one is that there is a change in the awareness of the human due to supernatural events, or I should just say otherworldly events, altered state events. Um, Supernatural is kind of an old-fashioned word. But anyway, the true nature of the universe beyond four-dimensional space and time is glimpsed or revealed in a sudden qualitative shift of consciousness. As a result, healing powers inborn or acquired, manifest in the person's life and become available for use. And these events may be subtle, as in a dream or a moment of revelation, or they may be quite dramatic, as in a bout of physical or mental illness. Now, some of you may remember um, Michael Dunning, that's right, who spent 10 years under a yew tree in Scotland, becoming, healing from his initiatory illness, learning how to do the healing form that he does now. It's a beautiful example, contemporary example of this happening today in Scotland, utterly outside of traditional shamanism, but the same steps, the same pieces, the calling is there in his illness that didn't even show up in the medical tests. And yet all of his friends knew he was literally withering away and dying. He was disappearing. And then the happenstance of ending up being taken to this yew tree and then his willingness to spend the next 10 years of his life and to find a way to be able to do that, learning from this tree, to be healed by this tree, learning from this tree, and ultimately being initiated by this tree. So there you go, right here in our contemporary time. So the training develops the shaman's worldview The individual engages in some process of gaining spiritual knowledge, skills, personal power, and personal healing. Um, Thus engaged in this process, uh, the insights into sacred wisdom are revealed such that a new worldview grows organically, expanding ever larger and more intricate and elegant, that the shaman's power is directly proportional to the depth and breadth of the individual's awareness of the true nature of the cosmos. So individual talents emerge. It's the third phase of training. And the fourth phase of training, that the training either comes to its traditional completion in some kind of test or an initiation in the training. So shamanic training allows the individual to understand other worlds with extrasensory perception in the same way that normal senses enable us to understand the ordinary physical world. In other words, through the shamanic training... You learn to accurately interpret what is going on or what we can view or connect with or understand through different types of altered states, to accurately interpret it and to affect it in some way to move things towards whatever it is that's going to support life. So the structure of shamanic training falls into either apprentice spirit teacher apprentice mentor, which would be the candidate choosing to work with a shaman in physical form um, versus just a spirit teacher. And then there are schools for shamans in the sense of, for example, you can go back to the show with John Lockley or Gretchen McKay, um, who worked with Sangomas in uh, South Africa primarily. And there's that's very formalized training. So they're essentially schools for lack of a better word. And there are there are many contemporary training programs the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, the Four Winds with Alberto Villodo, the Dance of the Deer with Brent Secunda, these are the old ones, sort of the old school here in America. The question is, is that what you're called to do? Does that training give you what you need based on your skills with your helping spirits? And are you going to the school to avoid dealing with the fact that you haven't been called and you don't have a relationship with spirit yet? And that you're looking for someone to initiate you without remembering the spirits do it. And that's the final piece is initiation graduating from any of these schools, no matter how strong the reputation, will not necessarily make you a shaman. They will give you skills. I mean, I went to the foundation. I'm deeply grateful for what I gained there. It's not what I teach because my helping spirits wanted me to do something else unique to me and to them. And to my experience with dance and my understanding about the need for art and expression and to work with power objects, to work in ritual, to work in ceremony, that was just me. But the important thing was that I trusted the spirit world's guidance, when to go take a class and when to go off on my own and to create what needed to be created to learn what I needed to learn. So anyway, moving on to the third piece of becoming a shaman, which is initiation. Initiation creates shamans from those who have been called, and not all who are called will complete that transformation of initiation. That initiations can be spontaneous, or they can be formalized, Um, but regardless of the form, initiations have three phases, a beginning, a middle, and an end, which sort of sounds like a big duh, but... Nonetheless, uh, the beginning has four phases to it. But essentially, it brings the the initiate goes from trying absolutely everything they already know, all of their assumptions, and realize that everything they know and all of their control has been overwhelmed by the uncertainty and unpredictability of the situation. The initiate realizes that their life is at risk. They become aware that they are alone and unprotected in an unknowable situation. That's the beginning of the initiation. In my experience, as I work with people, people bail right there and call that the initiation because they sense that moment of overwhelm. But that's just the beginning. The middle of the initiation is marked by the realization that there is no turning back. And a sequence of revelations, not necessarily in the following order, follows this realization. The realization that going forward, further into the unknown, is the only way to go. The realization that the parameters have been set by the spirit world and you are no longer in control. The realization that the only option is to give up control. In other words, either the ego dies or it's all over. The initiate's emotions become huge and overwhelming And the initiate's imagination is fully activated and making everything feel extreme. And the initiate fully realizes their own weakness, wounds, and limitations, and surrenders to spirit for help. That's the middle. It's a rare contemporary individual who will do that. Because we are not trained to believe or trust in all of these things outside of our own ego. And the final phase of the initiation, from this place of revelation and surrender, the initiate is guided to something within themselves that was hidden, utterly and completely unknown until this moment of terror. And if the initiate can merge with that hidden aspect in spite of the terror, the overwhelming imagination, and the overwhelming emotions, if the initiate can merge with that hidden aspect, they become greater than they were before. They become something other- than they were before. And then they are able to take actions in ways that they were unable to conceive of moments before. With that action, the initiate has sacrificed everything that they are for the possibility of becoming something greater and moves from the middle of the initiation into the end. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is what it takes to become a shaman. The call, the training, and actually completing the initiation. So what is a contemporary person to do? Follow your passion. Do what you feel is real in your body. Do what you feel is true. Commit everything and be wholehearted in that choice and in the way that you live that choice. And if you do this, even if that is the wrong choice, your wholeheartedness will radiate out into the world. Spirit will find you. Spirit is already watching you. And if you show spirit you have the heart, clear and strong, spirit will take you. And spirit will answer the question of what is the next step. Thank you, everyone, for joining me this week. Next week, our show is about healing and the relationship between working with the outer world challenges like war or disaster in the outer world, and the inner world, your own inner wars and inner natural disasters. And we'll explore how shamanic healing forms are unique in that they can work both in working with the outer world and the inner world. So join us next week as we look at the power of working from the inside out. I give thanks to the ancestors for being with us here today, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone.